Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. The first time I remember speaking to God, I was in a bowling alley. I was about seven or eight, and I was learning how to bowl. And I thought I had disappointed God because my bowling was not good enough. So I asked God if God would improve my bowling skills. God did not. Those were the early signs of my perfectionism. In fact, I believe that God wanted things so perfectly perfect that I could not even approach such perfection. And so I gave up and started to fail, at least at bowling, and maybe some other things too. In other words, going bowling with a perfectionist and demanding God robbed all the joy out of bowling. I was serving such a demanding taskmaster, taskmaster, I couldn't possibly make mistakes. And not being able to make mistakes, I could not learn. I could not risk. I remain to this day a bowler who feels she has everything on the line when she bowls. I am still a bowler who fails God. I'm wondering how many of you can relate to this. How many perfectionists are in the room? I won't ask you to stand up. I won't ask you to raise your hand. But I'm wondering when that voice gets in the way of your being, or when that voice gets in the way of your accepting another close to you, or when that voice gets in the way of your simply being in life. Our Parsha, our sacred text this week, this week, our biblical portion, features a perfectionist God. Listen to this. The Lord God spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, Any man among your offspring throughout their generations, in other words, any priest, any Kohen, who has a defect, shall not come near to offer up his God's food. The text goes on to tell us all the blemishes a priest has which would prevent this priest from offering God food. Now, you might be wondering about God and food. So in the Torah, God eats portions of the Israelites' sacrifices, and it's the priest who brings God this food. But here's the list that disqualifies the priest. Blind, lame, maimed, mutilated face, limbs too long, itching disease, scabs, or I found actually a more suggestive translation, weeping sores, crushed testicles, broken hand, broken foot, hunchback, a dwarf, blemish eyes. The end of this piece, things get even worse. It says, the blemished priest may eat the most fully, the holy food of his God. However, because of his defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar and so desecrate my sanctuary. I am the Lord who makes them holy. So somehow, God's holiness 
is going to be desecrated by a blemished priest. Ouch. Heartbreak. Why wouldn't God want a blemished priest to come close to the divine? Can God, the almighty and powerful one, stand being close to imperfection? Being close to God's imperfect people? So I, studying this portion this week, I was wrestling with this. I had a really hard time. I and mean, there's one thing to have God's perfectionist voice in my head. There's another thing to have it in the text. So what did I do? I put my struggle on Facebook. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not really a Facebook kind of person. Once in a while I post, I usually get maybe about 10 likes, 20 if I'm lucky, maybe 30 if it's really good. I usually walk away feeling like, ah, oh, what did I post for? I feel relatively unliked. This time, I got 120 comments. 120 comments. I really hit a deep vein here. We're all struggling with this text. As it happens to be, 120 is the number of men in the great assembly, the Sanhedrin, the law-making body that met in Roman times. So a Sanhedrin of people this week gathered together to consider on Facebook what this text means. And they said the following. Some said, just reject that, that text. Irredeemable, irredeemable. Others say, just reject the Torah. It's an ableist, sexist, patriarchal, ethnocentric text. I said, look, I'm a rabbi. I can't really reject it. <laughs> Others said, Here's what it really means, quoting commentators throughout the ages. It's really not so bad. There are reasons for this. It's because people are the problem. If blemished priests serve God, people will stare because people don't know better. People have a limited idea of perfection. I'm like, okay, that's a nice idea, but I don't see it in the text. Other people said those reasons are apologetics, eclipsing the cruelty of the Torah. They are dishonest. In any case, this long, long Facebook conversation led me to a conversation with one of my teachers, professors from, um, from rabbinical school, uh, uh, Dr. Ora Horn Prouser, who's now the Direct, executive director and academic dean of the Academy for Jewish Religion, a rabbinical school, and she's also a Bible scholar. And through this conversation, Ora, whose name is Light, means light, um, Hebrew word uh, for light is Or, really shed light on this question. She invited me to consider what about God would make God reject what the Torah understands to be blemishes or imperfection. What about God? Now, before I pursue that question, I want you to consider for a moment, just to be fair to the Torah and God, the Torah is full of people with disabilities. So consider, Jacob was lame, or was wrestled with an angel and became 
you know, developed a limp. Isaac was blind. Leah had weak eyes. Moses had a speech impediment. And Saul, King Saul, struggled mightily with mental illness. I could go on, but I won't. And it says in the Psalms, God is close to the brokenhearted. And those who are depressed of spirit, God will save. That's the God I want. That's the Torah I want. So it's not the whole Torah that's the problem. It's this text. It's certain aspects of God. Let's think for a moment who God is and why God would have a hard time with imperfection. Now, God's enterprise in this book is to create a world and create a people, the Israelite people. And through those Israelite people, to bring down holiness to the world and spread it, right? And share God's holiness, right? That's the enterprise. That's the basic project. God in this project is disappointed again and again, right? Think about the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, and, and Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve expelled from the garden, never to return, at least in terms of the Bible. Think about the fact that God got so frustrated with humanity that God almost destroyed the whole world. But Noah, right, sort of caught God's favor and God saved Noah, his family, and some animals. Think about the Israelites worshiping a golden calf when, God, when Moses was up with God receiving the tablets of the law. So again and again, God wants to destroy the world. God, I can imagine, feels alone with this project. It's true that God finds, finds Moses as a partner, but raising up this Israelite people, right, this group of released slaves, traumatized and abandoned people, it's not easy. God, I can imagine, feels vulnerable. God does not always want to feel this kind of frustration and powerlessness. God created human beings to reflect God's image on this earth. But what kind of image is that? What kind of mirror is God looking into? Right? So when God looks into a mirror and the people before him are so, in God's mind, imperfect, God can't handle that, right? God can't always handle that. It's hard for perfectionists, right, to create in this world. It's hard for, for perfectionists to really implement their vision into reality. God, in fact, fails repeatedly and has to be talked off the ledge. Moses is the one who talks off God off the ledge again and again. Don't destroy your people, right? They'll be okay. According to the Talmud, there's a prayer God says on behalf of God's own self. 
The Talmud asks, what does God pray and to whom does God pray? It turns out God prays to God's self. God is that lonely. God says, may it be my will that my mercy will overcome my anger towards Israel for their transgressions. And may my mercy prevail over my other attributes through which Israel is punished. And may I conduct myself toward my children Israel with the, with the attribute of mercy. So this really captures both parts of God, right? The compassionate, maternal, you know, um, loving God that we find in the Torah and the perfectionist, demanding God that we also find in the Torah. And I imagine each one of us finds these traits in ourselves, right? How do we move ourselves from perfectionism and judgment to mercy and love? There's a wonderful midrash that says human beings, they don't like shattered vessels. But God, God appreciates shattered vessels. God appreciates the brokenhearted. God uses them in God's enterprise. Which reminds me of a beautiful practice in Japan. It's the practice of restoring broken pottery by painting gold through the broken pieces. So what happens is, what emerges is something more beautiful than the beginning, right? than the beginning wholeness. It's the art of restoring broken pottery with gold so that the fractures are literally illuminated, a kind of physical expression of the spirit a practice which celebrates imperfection as an integral part of the story, not something to be disguised. Artists believe that when something has suffered damage and has a history, it becomes more beautiful, maybe like all of us. What do we do with our broken pieces? How do we carry them through the world? The gap between one's pristine appearance and its visual imperfection deepens its appeal. May the cracks become visible and may a golden light shine. May we amplify in our own minds the voice of the God who cares for us, who accepts us as the broken, blemished creatures that we are. And let us turn down the volume on the perfectionist demanding God and may we so flourish.